become spell weavers, reavers, rogues, and men at arms and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spell book, your bow, your rule book, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min maxers, horny bards, and blood soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome back to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, where we are making old school young again. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and joining me this evening is a a returning guest. This is his third time on the show. Uh, He's one of my favorite people, uh, one of the stalwart members of the Independent Publishers Union, so you know he's part of a good crowd there, and it's, of course, Skeeter Green. We will bring him on in just a second. Uh, But first, I just want to remind everyone uh, that you can follow me on all of uh, these various social media here, uh, Twitter and Instagram. I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg on YouTube. You can find me at Roland Bones and it's Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash Roland Bones Ryan. And I have a a brand new one to share with everyone this evening. Um, Recently, I have started posting on a new platform. Uh, And I'm going to go ahead and bring this up right now uh, because I am now officially on Substack. You can find my articles, my uh, threads that used to be on Twitter are now available here on Substack. Uh, The ones that I posted uh, a long time ago, you can find those uh, in the, uh, those are exclusive to premium members. Uh, However, I do have free ones that pop up. my most recent free one I posted yesterday, and it's actually on the topic that Skeeter and I will be talking about tonight, and that is Underdark Adventures. And uh, you can see right there the cover for Underland, uh, which is Skeeter's most recent product. I also want to remind everyone that if you want your Rolling Bones merch, you can find it over on T Public. It is the Bonehead Emporium over there. This is uh, you know where you can get such. Wonderful designs as the Bonehead t-shirt or hoodie, as you saw Levi Combs wearing at North Texas, or the Rollin' Bones logo t-shirt, which I've rocked on this show a couple times. And you can also get the RPG Gorillas unit patch t-shirt. That's one of the options there. Uh, you can find all that over on TeePublic. I will go ahead and post the link right here. And if you want to read my Substack, stack, uh, you can find that at Rollin' Bones dot substack.com so i'll put that here in chat as well that's where you can find all my articles um i I appreciate any you know support that you guys can give me not even just by uh you know doing the premium tier but just you know subscribing so that you can see my articles i'm tired of using twitter as a blog is what i'm trying to say so i hope you guys will uh, join me over there for all of that content uh, now let's bring on the uh, the man of the hour, and everyone remember to like, share, and subscribe if you enjoy what you're seeing here. Uh, but again, that's enough of my nonsense. Let's bring on the man of the hour. I'll go ahead and share the successful Kickstarter page for Underland Part 1, 
which is a uh, an underground adventure for Swords and Wizardry, DCC, MCC, and D&D. But ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Rollin' Bones for the third time, Mr. Skeeter Green. Three-time champion. Absolutely. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? I, I'm doing fantastic. We closed out a Kickstarter, got over 300 backers, was very happy to see some new people come in. Uh, it's been a good day. Yeah. It's been absolutely. a real good day. Absolutely. Well, with this being your third time on the show, you've already been through the introductory questions. Uh, so I kind of just want to dive right in here. Um, in in getting ready for our conversation and in getting ready for my conversation with Greg Gillespie next week, I've been thinking a lot about adventuring underground. There's a lot, you know, it, it's essentially encoded in the DNA of the game. Basically, this idea of uh, entering some kind of subterranean labyrinth to find something down there. But a lot of people don't think about just how terrifying the notion of going underground is. So you know, talk a little bit about your experience, you know, adventuring in the underdark as a, as a player and as a GM leading people through it. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, long, long time gamers or even newer gamers who are interested in the older style have played through the Drow series, you know, mm -hmm. the, the old classic uh, TSR D one through three. And you as players in that campaign or the characters in the campaign, you spend a significant amount of time underground mm -hmm. but as people and players we don't have that omnipresent you know oppression of millions of tons of rock eventually <laughs> turning you to jelly in an instant mm -hmm. and and honestly that's how you should feel down there you can get killed horribly by you know almost anything and that was one of the parts that I wanted to explore in Underland. Um, I added a game mechanic for claustrophobia, uh, which I suffer from. <laughs> I, I have some random tables for collapses and, and getting pinned under rock and stone and, you know, what it kind of takes to get out of there. Um, when when I used to work in construction, uh, one of the things that I, I was brought back to very frequently is we had to cut an 18-inch trench in the ground of this warehouse and work on, uh, we had to create a drain line for it. Mm -hmm. But we had to tunnel down eight feet. So we we got a little digger in there and dug that out and all the disturbed soil had to be repacked down as we did it. So I had to get into this 18 inch wide, <laughs> eight foot deep trench with a, with a power compactor as we were filling the ground back in. And it was because it was in a warehouse, it was covered with uh, a tarp. Mm -hmm. 
So I got this filtered blue light coming down. The whole trench is full of smoke. It's hard to breathe. My eyes are stinging. And I just thought, I'm in hell. <laughs> yeah. But I could still see light. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine being a character. You're underground. You've had your first fight. The, the wizard throws a fireball. There's smoke and ash and everything. Your eyes sting. Everything smells weird. It's hard to breathe. And at any minute, oh, yeah, all these tons of rock could just crush you into paste. Mm -hmm. That would freak you out. Yeah. In, like, the first hour. But people are down there for days, and nobody, nobody has the comprehension as as people because we don't live underground what that would do to you mm -hmm. and i just wanted to make underland a little more weird and harsh yeah. uh i'm i'm a big fan of environmental obstacles mm -hmm. it doesn't always have to be a creature that you have to negotiate with or overcome just the you know being in a pocket of CO2 that is captured underground, you just walking down a tunnel and then all of a sudden you can't breathe. How weird would that be? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, that would be extremely stressful. And some of those flavors, not a lot of people talk about or put in their game, but for some people who want it, I wanted to make it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, there's there's all manner of horrifying stories about people that have been trapped underground. I mean, you know, there, there were the miners in, in Chile. Right. Uh, you know, th there have been a couple incidents like that. There's a video, and, and this video is absolutely terrifying for anyone who hasn't seen it. There's a video of a guy exploring the catacombs underneath Paris. And at some point, he just gets freaked out and starts running. And yeah. just runs into the catacombs and at the very end of the video, he drops the camera. You hear footsteps running away. And then just the video stays there where he dropped the camera until it dies. No one ever found that guy. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's there's Lovecraft stories of people, you know, finding tombs and, and going spelunking and then, oh, man, this monster that's coming after me is somebody else earlier who did yeah. the same thing and got lost in there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, I guess it's, it would be a little bit different if you were like a farmer, mm -hmm. like if you were, or uh, if you're Amish, <laughs> Yeah. You're you're probably not watching this video, nor are you probably playing D and D. But if you lived in a compound where there was no electricity, you would be a little bit more comfortable in the pitch black, dark. Mm -hmm. And that's everything underground. Yep. You know, always you can see light from. I mean, potentially hundreds of yards away because it's so odd in this impenetrable blackness mm -hmm. it's just freaky oh 
Hello. <laughs> I'm looking at the chat. Gotcha. On another screen. Yep. Yeah. Jeff Telaney in here is uh, he's in chat um, and actually bringing up a, a good point about firsthand experiences. Uh, this is something that I feel like is kind of lost uh, for a lot of people. Y you look at early designers of role playing games, you know, someone like um, Tim Cask, who was in the Navy during Vietnam right. or uh, now people are going to crucify me. The the guy who created Arduin was a combat photographer. Yeah. You, yep. you have these kind of horrifying firsthand experiences that end up making their way into role-playing games very early on. Now, I'm not saying that aspiring role-playing creators should throw themselves into harm's way, but there oh, there no. is this element of... I, I think a lot of RPG designers need to go out and see things and explore oh. kind of new areas or new aspects because that kind of exploration will inform the games that you end up putting out. For sure. And there's all the difference in the world. Uh, like Jeff pointed out, if you have lived an event or no firsthand about some kind of event like that you can describe it in ways that people who have not been there uh would have no idea mm -hmm. about i mean yeah. gary gygax used to investigate the tunnels below a sanitarium mm -hmm. you know so he knows a little bit about spelunking <laughs> Yeah. And, and and going down these dark corridors that feel like they're getting tighter as you as you walk down. I mean, mm -hmm. somebody somebody who's just writing, oh, I'm gonna write a dungeon that's underground. It's like, okay, cool. You know, they said there there's no light and it's very cold. Okay. So tell me when the characters are underground and they're scared to death because they can smell each other's sweat. Yeah. You know, that's when you know you're scared. You can look around and go, okay, somebody either peed their pants or they're sweating <laughs> real bad yeah. or both. And that's only somebody who's in a very heightened sense of issue is going to even understand. And before anybody totally freaks out, I did not make this to trigger anybody who has panic about being underground. I also have claustrophobia, so I know how awful it would be to be buried alive. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's one of those things where you, you see a lot of underground dungeons where it's like, oh, you know, all of these passageways are, you know, convenient so that an adventuring party can walk to abreast through them. Whereas if you're right. really exploring an underground area, there's going to be some places where you can't even walk one abreast. You have to turn like sideways and shimmy through these. So that's stuff. That's one of the things the um, the central adventure for the first book in Underland is called the Mellishire Incident. And it's just kind of one of those villages as the PCs are going from point A to point B, they stop off, it's very convenient, not a whole lot of background, just so you can weave it into whatever you're using. But when 
they go underground and there are a couple of different reasons why they would go underground there's random charts so you can change your direction your height um, everything and you can find passages that are a little bit tighter than you're comfortable with yeah. or yep. that as you're kind of squirreling through a passage some of the surrounding dirt and soil collapses on you and then like oh what happens now mm -hmm. <laughs> and things also in this underland adventure some of the collapses show you what underland is all about which is that everywhere is connected in the dark spaces underground in basements you can travel from one area to another and it's only limited by what the gm wants to do but you can you can start in regular fantasy dnd land and then over here is the forgotten realms or up here is sigil and planescape or you know you could do a star jammer thing it doesn't matter it just has to be you know that dark space under the basement stairs mm -hmm. actually leads not to a spider's nest but you know a whole nother land yeah uh, based very much on wonderland principles you know mm -hmm. alice in wonderland went down there and found all kinds of weird stuff so it shouldn't be limiting mm -hmm. yeah and and you can even see that in stuff like um like fofford and the gray mouser i i know oh, yeah. Liber kind of wrote this to connect stories together but fofford and the gray mouser wander into a cave and end up in our world yeah absolutely um the whole uh the the biggest issue i have and it's with gaming i have many issues that i'm not going to go into right <laughs> now my biggest issue in gaming is people are kind of i don't know if it's afraid or feel like they're limited that they're only playing in a single campaign setting when they're mm -hmm. playing their characters it's almost like that their their rules, hey, we're playing in Forgotten Realms, we're in Icewind Dale, we're gonna go the only cool place we gotta go is you know around here. It's like, no, you find a cave that takes you to the birthright setting. Yeah. Or Dark Sun. I mean, how freaky would that be to be oh, in yeah. this whole Icewind Dale and like, oh, okay, now we're in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> What, what do we do? Mm -hmm. And why are those elves so tall? <laughs> you know, yep. uh, bring some of the, one of the classic, one of the movies I was watching when I came up with this kind of moving idea was uh, John Carter. And as much as people hate that movie, because it's not the book, that's a pretty cool idea. I mean, mm -hmm. 19th century adventuring dude goes on a space journey to Mars. That's D and D that, that is, that is so D and D. So I, I really enjoy when other companies bring that kind of philosophy to gaming that they're not, 
shackled to to one genre or flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is something that I was actually talking about with uh, with Keelan at North Texas a little bit because we were talking about that guy's a nut job, and I love him. Oh yeah, of all other people, he's mm-hmm. amazing. Ke- Keelan Halverson, aka the Wonky, for those of you who have seen his name in a book, uh, is, is a science wizard. Yep, absolutely. He he is one a genius, but he and I were talking about age of exploration and why, you know, people don't use uh, black powder weapons in D and D. And I think that's, I think that plays into it. There's this notion of our world is fenced. Our world, like everything that could possibly exist is what's conventional to this world that we're in. And nothing from the outside is going to enter you're not going to find a crashed spaceship. You're not going to find a portal to another world, which really is kind of antithetical to the way that D and D was run from very early on. I mean, that's how, that's how Gygax and Arneson and, and all the forefathers of D and D kind of ran their games was, you know, you, you wander into a Canyon and look, there's a UFO crashed there. Right. Right. I mean, Barrier Peaks yeah. is, is one of the all-time classics, and it's extremely divisive. Mm-hmm. I find that there are people who who really enjoy it and, and really love the idea, and people who think, yeah, that's it, it was trash and a bad idea. And it, I mean, breaks the little raisin of a heart that I have left. <laughs> to hear people say that because i mean even if it's there are a lot of games and systems that i don't particularly care for but Mm -hmm. i'll i'll flip through any of them because something is going to give me a crazy idea and you know it doesn't necessarily need to be outlandish like i was listening to somebody talk about a game they were running where the PCs were going to fight breakfast food. (laughs) And I, I always, I always go back to that. Like maybe that would be hilarious and maybe that would be fun, but that would drive me berserk if that actually happened in a game Um, as, as off the wall as, my man Levi Combs can be <laughs> even even his stuff is reined into a certain thematic yeah. element. It's not like I'm gonna fight a bowl of raisin bran. I mean, that's yeah. that's not my thing. If it's your thing, cool, make it your thing. But that brings something interesting and odd to the game you're not expecting. Mm-hmm. So, so that's kind of what I'm trying to promote. Um yeah. I want to give people some tools to make the games fun because sometimes it, it seems like people are locked into a ideology that D and D is played a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's never been just take the game and, and make it your fun. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Jeff points out another kind of interesting aspect of of Underland here. Um, This notion that you've kind of given a a list of underground hazards that you can kind of plug and play as needed. I I think this is a tool 
going back to the point about people not really experiencing what it's like to spelunk, giving them a tool to kind of recreate some of those hazards, I think is really a, a good idea there. Yeah. And um, this is, as it was listed in the Kickstarter part one, um, each time I get enough super cool ideas to put a worthwhile book together, mm -hmm. then I will release another one. Uh, there, pro there probably will not be another one this year because I want to, I want to stretch them out. I don't want to make anybody wait. And I know I am not going to please everybody one way or the <laughs> other with this, but I also don't want to just put out some garbage that's been rehashed in other books. I mean, mm -hmm. I want this to be interesting and useful. Um, there's a couple of environment books from Frog God Games. Um, one of them I know is Mountains of Madness. And it has tons of actually researched underground things. So that that's a great resource. I want to make the stuff that I present a little bit weird, like, you know, mm -hmm. rubber stone. You know, you find these little rubber stones that are sort of malleable. It's not really clay, but it's not, you know, anything. It's like what the hell is that? Hmm. <laughs> you know, stuff that's fun and weird and usable. I don't want to make something that is only usable in very narrow parameters. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it would be great if Mr. Jeff Talanian used some of those hazards in something underground he happened to be using and they're in a long tunnel. It's like, oh yeah, let's flip this table open. Okay. Oh, you get... A, a minor collapse you got to dig through it that at least keeps people engaged and and like it's not just a set piece mm -hmm. you're you're actually your your dungeon or underground environment can react to what the characters do yeah which isn't always a concept people use with a dungeon right yeah it's like you like the wizards are throwing all these spells around and that's going to make these stones unstable in certain spots. Mm -hmm. You know, there could be a collapse. And if you need to get through a certain door and the stones around it have buckled a little bit and that door won't open, well, now you have some choices to make. Yep. So, yeah, it's just some different spices to change the flavor palette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like Rex Teal here in chat said, um, you know, when we were talking about muskets, you don't fire a musket in a cavern because it could cause a cave in. Uh, that yeah. could also apply to something like casting a uh, sound wave or, or something like that. Right. Any thunder kind of, wave. Yeah, yeah any kind of sonic spell. Thunder wave. Plus, plus, one of the factors nobody seems to realize, you cast thunder wave underground, you're going deaf. Mm -hmm. And everybody in your group i don't care if it i mean if somebody wants to play it that because it's magic the physics of sound waves do not actually work to say you know <laughs> if if you want to do that that's that's perfectly fine mm -hmm. i think if somebody casts sound wave in my world they're potentially going deaf yeah sorry mm -hmm. thunder wave it's in the title <laughs> Yeah, it, it seems like something you would do. There's there's lots of stuff to reverberate off of down in that cave. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're going deaf. Yeah, and and if for some reason magic alters the base 
physics of of this thing because it's magic well the stones are different too and they're and they are highly amplimorphic i don't even know if that's a word but it works anyway <laughs> yeah you know that kind of stuff or mm-hmm. or the soft soil in between gets rattled a little bit and mm-hmm. you know gets fried yeah who knows yeah, and that's not even accounting for like you know you you accidentally find a methane pocket and cast a fireball at it, then you know that's coming back at you. So for for a very long time, I was a huge fan of the Grimtooth's Trap series, mm-hmm. and I my actual first start in serious RPG design was I was making a third edition trap stat blocks for Casey Christofferson because he didn't want to do the math. <laughs> so uh, that's that's how I got my, my big break. And I would make the most screwed up two and three part traps to put in things because once you think it goes off once, oh, that's just the beginning, sunshine. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole point of crypt of the science wizard when i wrote that is just make odd mechanical traps that were very deadly Mm -hmm. so yeah i i'm only gonna mention this because we've gotten a couple comments about it and lou uh yes i did get my hair cut (laughs) it it does look different Yes, I and and my hairstyle never changes, never goes out of style. <laughs> oh, so funny side story that has nothing to do with gaming. I was talking to my lovely wife last night, and I said I am the same person I have been for since I was twenty. Mm-hmm. So so well more than thirty years. I'm exactly the same as I have been. She turned her phone around. And had the camera facing me so I could see that it was me. And she held it up in front of my face. And I said, oh, my God, who is that old man? <laughs> <laughs> and then she just gave me the knowing look. And so, yeah, I guess I'm an old codger now. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days I'll act like an adult. And then you hmm. know the apocalypse will be upon us. <laughs> That's never going to happen. And what what's kind of interesting about everything you you've talked about so far? Our first conversation was about horror, and I know like this was years ago. This was 2019, the first time we actually talked to each other. Um, but what you've kind of created here is a different kind of horror, and I think a, a very underrated kind of horror, and that's atmospheric horror where there doesn't even necessarily have to be anything out there in the shadows, but the whole environment that you've set up is just so terrifying that players create something out there that's potentially after them. And just, you know, the, the, the walls, the floor, everything around them is potentially going to kill them. This is a kind of horror that I don't think a lot of people think about because it's difficult to convey but it's very effective. I got a great bit of advice from one of my 
fellows in the Independent Publishers Union, and this goes out to Rocky Gardner. Great guy. Fantastic. And he did the layout for Underland, which mm-hmm. I just got uh, started getting uploaded to print. So, yay. Uh, yeah, amazing job. He is fascinated by mega dungeons. Mm-hmm. So so he does a lot of a lot of thinking about the whole workings of mega dungeons. One of the things he suggested was to consider all of a character's senses when you're describing a room. Don't just describe what they see or what they might hear. Uh, you know, occasionally people will do what maybe there's a smell, Hmm. but you can also do things like, what does the air taste like? Is it, do you taste dust? There's a situation in an adventure I wrote where everything tastes salty in the air. Hmm. And, you know, you you focus your description on what can be seen but what does your skin feel is the air clammy is there a lot more humidity in this room um in valley out of time uh the part five you go into a snake man warren mm-hmm. and and the whole cave system is hot and humid like a terrarium because that's what they would like. And once, once he suggested that, that, you know, really focus on all five senses that opened up a lot more freaky stuff. Oh yeah. That I could describe. Cause if you, if you're walking through a tunnel and all of a sudden it gets cold and damp it's like, uh, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't. And, you know, if the stones are cold in about a 10 foot area and they're not cold anywhere else, somebody might think, oh, no, there's a river getting ready to blast through this wall and drown <laughs> us. Yep. You know, and that kind of tension. And that's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, some people like very much to have the the diplomatic you know let's do tea ceremony yeah for our gaming and i've tried it wasn't necessarily for me but i could see how people get into it uh being faced with imminent potential death really sharpens your game yeah (laughs) it's like whoo that's adrenaline i can think better now Mm-hmm. You know, so I I think those and you can't you can't do it all the time. Like every time you go around a corner, it can't be a near death situation or people just are like, are we playing Mork Borg? <laughs> I mean, is, yeah. is it is the end this close? That's that's not necessarily fun, mm-hmm. um, especially for a, a long term. Campaign, mm-hmm. you know, you want to and it, it depends the. The game master. See, it's weird for me because I don't have a home campaign. I only play at conventions. That's why mm-hmm. I go to so many conventions. Um, so 
I have to figure out, I have to read everybody at the table and figure out what's going to freak them out without being over the top. Right. Because I don't want anybody to be upset. That's not the point. I mean, we're these are role-playing games and games mm-hmm. implies fun. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's kind of the challenge for me at this point is I spend more time reading the crowd and seeing what can work. And I have a couple of old standbys that, that work pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I can, like, if I start talking about spiders or something and somebody shivers or like, Ugh, then everything like roots and weeds <laughs> and things that just touch you, that is all now on the table mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't ever have to be a spider again but if it's something oh you feel something that seems like a bristly feather swipe across your arm and then you can't see where it went yep you know that's like oh nope i'm done <laughs> forget yep. it too much mm. so as long as i don't get anybody doing the too much then i'm happy that that happened uh one time with our friend Zach Glazer <laughs> at uh, at Crit Hit Con, I was running a Call of Cthulhu scenario for his friends specifically, and they had been drinking, and I just poured on the creepy factor, <laughs> and they I, I don't think they cried, but there was some there were some tense moments, mm. and yeah, I just laid it on thick that time. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. 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 When you can, with just a description of something, you can get someone's imagination running. That's kind of a, that's a huge win as a game master. Just like with words, you, you evoke emotion in someone. That's, that's the high we're all chasing. I think in a lot of ways. Uh, My man Lou gave me a great compliment on the first strike Encrypt of the Science Wizard, the the oh, yeah. bubbling fluid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, th- there's a lot of stuff in Crypt of the Science Wizard that's just I don't know if insidious is the right word, but I mean like <laughs> the the time I played where the the squids uh fell from the ceiling and and I got high on squid venom and tried to kill Galactus. So that, that, that was, that's level two. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So though that a couple of things and those are, so the, the squid venom that got you, that mm-hmm. was a suggestion from another IPU buddy, Ian McGarty. Oh yeah. It was like, what if instead of getting poisoned by something, it gives you an adrenaline rush, hmm. like like the overdose shot to the heart. It's like, yeah, let's do this. You know, mm-hmm. maybe that's what happens. And as he's describing it, he just got this wicked evil leprechaun look on his face. And I was <laughs> like, okay, this is a great idea because you are very excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's things like that that are slightly different that you don't expect that are memorable. And I, I don't know about everybody else, but 
there are a lot of times I play games so I don't have to think about the world. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah. something that surprises me that I can have as a great memory. Um, yeah, that's what I want to take away from games. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked a lot about environment. There's another aspect to underground that kind of stood out to me as I I wrote an article about undergrad adventuring on my sub stack in anticipation of this conversation. <laughs> One of the things that really kind of stood out to me as I was thinking through what it means to be adventuring in the underground, anything that's down there, monster-wise or just, you know, creatures you can encounter down there. Anything that's down there and has been down there for a while has adapted to live down there. Mm-hmm. You, as the player characters, have not. So if you run into something that's hostile down there, you might as well be fighting a Martian on Mars. You are in the territory that they are comfortable with. And that, again, it we're coming back to environment here using that environment as part of combat as part of encountering a monster uh that wants to eat you because you're the first like fresh thing it's come across in months that is a you know creepy aspect of underground adventuring as well yeah and there's a great real world example that i bet a bunch of people have done um, if you're not a good swimmer, still functional swimmer, jump your ass off a boat and then go snorkeling. Now, if you do it in the right place, nice little things will come up to you, maybe helpful. You know, it's not a Disney movie, but still mm-hmm. you could, you could see fish. You go in the wrong area and you turn around and, oh my God, there's a shark right in my face or there's a jellyfish gonna sting my ass and paralyze me (laughs) or there's a a whale who wants to play but doesn't realize how freaking big it is and it's gonna (laughs) crush me so you go underground you're either you are going down a tunnel which should automatically tip people off that there are other things that use this tunnel mm-hmm. you you are not the you know first herald walking down this tunnel to ever see it mm-hmm. uh and what lives undergrounds worms things that burrow which means they have claws that can probably tear your skin up um just the and and that's Uh, some of the tables that I have in Underland is you can encounter animals or you can encounter monsters (laughs) and there's a difference. Yep. You can, um, you know, it has an, it has a random events table. So different things can happen to you. Um, It, it really makes, it's as much a toolkit for GMs to use in whatever campaign or setting you want to use, as well as the the prepackaged adventure and the little village that could also be used 
separately. Uh, it's not required to use everything together and then it's done. This hmm. is something you, even if you don't use it, you read through it to see some of the ideas and then use it in your own campaigns as it fits. Hmm. Yeah, Devil's Theater, Boulay should be multi-environmental, adaptive, and terrifying. And and from what Skeeter has said about how Ian and Rocky have contributed to multiple projects, the Boulays are, in fact, very terrifying. They, uh, yeah, in, the la in like the last year, they, they have put out a couple of products that are just like, what is going on in your brain? Yeah. And do we need to call for professional help? <laughs> um, but I, I love it. Um, I get to see a lot of this stuff early in its development. Hmm. And I am constantly just kind of going, what? And in the independent publishers union, we use each other's stuff yep. frequently. Like some of the plant creatures from Cryptocodex that I wrote are in some of the Boulay's adventures. Uh, I pulled some monsters out of Cryptocodex for Underland just because they're odd. It, mm -hmm. Weirdly enough, the monster that I pulled out of my book was the one that Rocky put in that book. So <laughs> it, yeah. We have a lot of mixing of DNA, which sounds filthy when I say that. <laughs> uh, Crafty Matt, you are uh, giving Rocky and Ian a run for their money here. A, a displacer beast with a, as a hairless cat with uh, lights on the end of its stalks. That's that's terrifying. Yeah, like the angler fish with yeah. that dangly in front of him. That's awful. That's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, give give it a severe underbite, and you, like that's just the golden ticket right there. Yeah, well done. Yeah, lots lots of gross hairless beasts. You're looking mm -hmm. at my skull, aren't you? <laughs> that's where that comment came from. Dang, it's a rough crowd. <laughs> I don't have Hello. that luxurious hair of our host. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to get you side by side with Ben Barsh and, and have a, a hair off or something. Ben and I have had that conversation. <laughs> I, oh. I made a joke with Levi that at North Texas one year, we're going to have to have a hair versus hair match and have all the bald guys be like lumberjacks around the ring. Yeah. That, well, <laughs> you got plenty to choose from. We we are constantly having a uh, who are you looking for? Oh, the bald guy with the gray goatee. <laughs> like, really? That's eighty people here. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jennifer Glazer takes pictures of all of us and then posts them to Facebook and says, "Is this Tom Tullis?" <laughs> Which is just wonderful. Yep. Because we all are Tom Tullis. <laughs> Now, speaking of North Texas, um, this was the first year that I actually got to sit in on the small publisher seminar. And uh, I was in a very weird head state, having drank way too much the night before. But it happens. Something... 
something that really struck me about the seminar um this year you you basically kind of poured your heart out about this is everything that can possibly go wrong as a small publisher <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> And I, I like, honestly, I have to applaud you because th the whole time I was just like, this is a real downer, but I was also like, but this is what I need to hear. So the original idea of the small publishers union, when Zach Glazer of Frog God Games and I came up with this idea was we had a little streaming show called God Damn It Zach. Mm -hmm. And we would give our opinions on products or find old TSR stuff and open it up and go through it because Zach is a great collector and, and honestly loves this hobby more than anything except his wife mm -hmm. and his Oculus headset, <laughs> those two things. And then gaming, mm -hmm. um, maybe the headset gaming and then his wife, I don't yeah. know, but I can say that. Um, so our idea was, why don't we help some of the small publishers who and the people who are starting out who are not even publishers who just want to try it because he was getting um, in his position at frog god games he was getting so many submittals and you know sometimes you have to turn them down because it's just there's too much it's mm -hmm. it's there's no time to develop it but they're great ideas and we used to tell people, why don't you put it out? Oh, no, I can't. I can't do that. No, that would that would never happen. It was hard enough for me to write. I can't do it in this other stuff. So we decided, why don't we start giving people advice or helping them out if they have questions, say, give them our examples, say, hey, this is what happened when I did this. And one of the great examples uh, we've used for years is if you have stretch goals for a Kickstarter, make sure you understand how they scale. Yep. Um, you know, check out shipping. Uh, the last thing you want to do is send an actual pirate chest full of <laughs> uh, wrought iron keys and coins and, you know, 50 pounds of books. Oh, no, you can't send it in one box. Now it's two boxes, so it's double the shipping. Oh, and it's going to Australia. And oh, yep, of course, they got lost. Mm -hmm. so now you got to do it again. Um, maybe don't do that on your first yeah. Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, don't sell somebody, hey, if we make $5,000 over goal, everybody's getting a car. You know, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't necessarily do that because you're, you're, margins are not great so those are things that we wanted to start um helping people out with and we did it on the show a couple of times and then one of us decided to do it at north texas our first year and i think like five people showed up we we don't get hundreds of people to the seminar ever right but what happened in you know, the first time we did this, somebody would ask a question and Zach and I would look stupidly at each other. Uh, I don't know. This is the first question. We don't know how to answer questions. But somebody else in the crowd had the experience 
to help that person. Mm-hmm. And it became much more, Zach and I started off and kind of get the crowd okay being around each other. And then it becomes a giant conversation amongst everybody. In North Texas, when you were there, we were fortunate enough to have Mr. Steve Marsh. Yeah. Who sits in the front row and is happy to answer questions. And he's the man from TSR. Mm-hmm. This yeah. entire game is, you know, he's been attached to it forever. So having him come in um, and and answer some questions, and he's a lawyer. Yeah. So a lot of times, or he was a lawyer. He's retired. I think he's retired. I don't. I don't know. Um. You know, but we get. We get those people, we get um, other small publishers that come in and also want to help. Um, ben Barsh mm-hmm. and Bill Barsh from Pace Sitter Games have come to our seminars and offered help and given their perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really fantastic um, doing this and being the personality that I am. I have a lot of contacts in mm-hmm. the RPG world now. So sometimes we can get Jim Wampler to come by. Yeah. Sometimes we get Jeff Talanian. Sometimes we can't get rid of Levi Combs. <laughs> um, I'm but, familiar with the problem. <laughs> but, um, you know, Alyssa Fadden has mm-hmm. come in and, and helped. Uh, one of the best people, guest I would like to make her a permanent guest host is Crystal Mazer. Mm-hmm. She has been fantastic because she is a professional freelance author and she does numerous other things. Um, but she was helping with the perspective of being a freelancer, what she needs to hear from, from small publishers, you know, yeah. what, I'm going to teach you how to talk to me as a freelancer. And she's a genius Mm -hmm. on, on just everything RPGs. So um, yeah, I just asked her, Hey, would you like to do this thing in like an hour? (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's how I asked her. And she kind of said, um, yeah. And I think the first couple of times she thought we were lunatics and she's pretty much right. But mm-hmm. now she knows we're actually trying to help people and she's all about that too. So she is mm-hmm. top of the heap. So we've gathered these people with different perspectives and it's really been, I mean, I've learned a ton. Yeah. We, we had the, the print folks from drive through RPG sit in and talk to us at Gary Con hmm. when there was like literally like six people in the whole room <laughs> and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And uh there is a guy from Europe who's a small publisher and he was able to connect with them and yeah it was it was wonderful. Yeah. It was the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Crystal, it's interesting you mentioned her because she's also someone who, uh, in her career, has been through it as far as dealing with like ridiculous crowdfunding and ridiculous expectations. Oh, and 
There, there have been a number of times I have all but gotten on my hands and knees and begged, please tell such and such story so we can rake this person. And no, she has more class than I do. So mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she's not going to do it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, she has practical experience that is directly relatable to some people's questions. So um, having her as a resource is wonderful for us, but very valuable, I think. Mm -hmm. And if Zach and I were at all good at promotion, we would let people know in advance when we're (laughs) going to have these like super cool guests. So it's not just, I mean, I suppose that is encouraging people to come to all of our nonsense. But I mean, if we can, if we can promote somebody that is amazing like that, then Mm. we probably should. (laughs) Yep. But I mean, like this year in particular, um, I I don't know how in depth you want to or or care to go into any of this, but like this, this past year was not an easy one for you. And you, you basically just kind of spilled all of that out for us and went through okay this is everything that went wrong for me over the past year and this is how i got through it and again as someone who is just now putting together something to hopefully publish sometime in the not too distant future it was extremely valuable to hear and i'm grateful that you were willing to be that vulnerable with all of us there and go through you know this is literally like the worst possible case scenario that, that you could go through as a small publisher. Yeah. Um, it's, it's important and it's a thing that happened and I got through it and I'm here right now. Mm -hmm. Um, there were a lot of talks with my wife and my family that I was done, Mm -hmm. you know, before, before the worst of it even happened, (laughs) I was like, I can't do this anymore. I mm-hmm. I have to try to find somebody. I have not told anybody this other than the person involved, but I tried to sell my IP to another company mm-hmm. just to be done. And, and, you know, it would still be out there, but somebody else would manage it and, and take control of it. Mm-hmm. And fortunately that didn't happen, but, uh, yeah, I I thought I was too cool for school, and I ran a I ran a Kickstarter for a new um, supplement and product, and I thought my name was enough to get me enough people, and you know it it would be fine. I may take a hit, but you know I'm still going to do my numbers. I did not <laughs> mm. at all. Uh, and I was so confident that I knew what I was doing. I bought all the product in advance of the Kickstarter, even finishing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I lost, uh, on the Kickstarter, I got about half what I paid out back. And I have subsequently gone through the whole print run. It, It is literally sold out at this point. Um, but yeah, at that point, I was, I was devastated. I mean, I was a narcissist in training, <laughs> and I got a reality check 
big mm -hmm. time. And a couple of other things happened, and uh, I so I went on antidepressants because I was I was low. The business was rocked. Maybe I can't do this. Maybe everything I've written up to this point was a fluke, which is stupid because people have come back. You know, yeah. I, I have a core group of several hundred people who, who back everything. So, but I couldn't see that because mm -hmm. I was too into, you know, this Kickstarter fail in my eyes that, was was perfectly fine mm -hmm. so then <laughs> i go okay well i i can recover i'm going to do valley out of time part five and six this is the completion this is going to be great um that kickstarter went pretty well it was a little bit lower than than the previous ones but some of the fallout was or fall off was expected no big deal i was a little down though even though you know, this happened and I was on the antidepressants. We're getting all that figured out. So things are a little weird. And uh, so I, I get the money for the Kickstarter and I get the books printed and they get shipped to me and they're trash. They are covered in ink spots. There's rub marks through them. Um, I had to have all of them reprinted and when i went back to the print company uh they told me because i did not get a certain step to protect the books that they were not liable <laughs> and i fought them for a couple of weeks mm -hmm. updating the the backers on what was going on i was very transparent about what was happening and they finally just said, nope. So I had to, I had to get new books printed from another printer, which obviously extended the timeline even mm -hmm. more. Um, those finally came in. And when I went to ship them, the Excel spreadsheet I had with everybody's information on it, I went to sort it and it did not sort the entire field. It only sorted the names, which put the wrong name by the wrong address. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't aware of that. And I shipped them out. And one of the things that I learned about shipping during this process is that if you ship something media mail, that post is, postage is good one way. Mm -hmm. So when somebody receives something that looks obviously like a book and it's from SGP that's on the label, but it has somebody else's name on it and they send it back. Oh, wrong person, which is what most people would do. Uh, I have to pay the postage to pick those books up from the post office, try to figure out who gets what and then resend them out. So my postage costs were triple mm -hmm. on a number of these books. And uh, finally, you know, that got all squared away. And then the day after Christmas, I had a heart attack. <laughs> so um, 
Yeah. It was a crazy several months and trying to recover from that and get Underland written. Underland's been sitting around for like a year. Uh, I didn't want to write it when I was having the troubles from last summer. Mm-hmm. So it took a while. And then my confidence was shaken. I thought, oh, this book is going to be crap. I didn't even want to put it out. And then uh, I let Zach Glazer read through it. And he said, this is really good. Mm-hmm. This this is the best stuff you've written in a while. And then Rocky, when he was doing the layout, he said, this is really tight. You You made some good choices here so it should be a good book yeah i i think it's very interesting and i like it and if i'd have been smarter i would have sent you the pdf before this so you could see some of the stuff too but i didn't oh it's all good don't worry about it this again i appreciate you sharing this with us um because one, it's valuable to hear not just what can go wrong, but also that there's light at the end of the tunnel. There, you know, there's there's something good that can come out of kind of essentially everything possibly going wrong. You can still pull through on the other side. And I think that's even the more powerful lesson than this is all that can go wrong. It's this is all that can go wrong and you'll be able to make it through. So I, I learned a lot about myself and life and thinking and being in your head as I laid in the emergency room for 48 hours and didn't sleep. Mm-hmm. And the doctors came back and told me what was wrong. And they said, unfortunately, what gave you this heart attack cannot be fixed with medicine diet, exercise, I have a genetic mutation Mm -hmm. and it just happened to be at this point that, that it went off. So, um, yeah, I mean, it really gives you perspective of what's important Mm -hmm. and what's not important. And as much as I love this hobby, it's a hobby. You know, I, I don't need, I'm not a narcissist. I mean, I, I have imposter syndrome. I think what I write is trash most of the time. And then fortunately I get this little bit of even keel and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is actually pretty good. (laughs) Um, and, and everybody has, you know, moments of that when you have your self-doubt it's gonna happen when something goes haywire which is gonna happen Mm -hmm. um it it is important that you have a safety net and a backup and a network where you can go oh my god i sent you know three thousand copies of a pdf all to the wrong people you know, what do I do? And it's like, well, they're ones and zeros. You send them to the right people. Who cares? If, if nothing else, you just made 3000 people really happy. They got something for free. You know, I mean, that, that is not devastating. Um, 
if a if a three thousand uh, dollar mistake is not something you or your family can absorb, don't make a project that's going to cost three thousand dollars. Right. You know there are options. Uh, a number of people ask us in the small publisher seminars, can I do a PDF only release? And every single time we say, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That is probably your best start because it takes a lot less pressure on you. You will not have a heart attack or, you know, less traumatic anxiety issues than that. Um, worrying about a book. I mean, it's a book mm -hmm. and and people can be as passionate about their crafts i that that's the best thing in the world be authentic be passionate but don't gamble your real life on this yeah you know you've got to have a backup and and that's why i did the whole and it wasn't intended to go to be that personal and me you know like thrash the entire crowd telling <laughs> telling them what happened to me but it's like you said you know people need to hear it and people need to know there's a path out of it mm -hmm. like if you screw up royal that doesn't mean you're done right i mean i'm like a roach at this point I don't know if there's anything. Look, I had a heart attack. Even I can't kill me. So I am not going away. <laughs> um, the only thing that would make me go away is if people uh, in mass decided that my writing sucked. And that happens to people. Mm -hmm. That happens to some TSR luminaries. But yeah. I won't go into that story right now. <laughs> um so yeah, it's I'm I'm an open book except for a very few things. I'll say mm -hmm. anything to anybody at any time. Yeah. People got a question, ask me. Absolutely. And uh, as Lou points out here in the chat, that is a very shitty role on the mutation chart. Yes. That was that was a serious one. Mhm. Mm <laughs> That was not great. Yeah. But upside to my heart attack story, the when the uh, doctor initially came in, he said, why are you here? I said, because you told me I was having a heart attack. He goes, no, no, no. You are having a heart attack right now. Why are you here? Your blood pressure isn't elevated. Your pulse isn't really elevated for the fact you're having a heart attack. Uh, your blood oxygen, every, all of my numbers were completely normal. Mm -hmm. So, and when I got out and they did their procedure, they said, you have no damage on your heart. It's like it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I just, except for the constant nightmare I'm going to have <laughs> for the rest of my life. Yeah. No damage at all. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but I mean... I I just put out another Kickstarter. Yeah. That did, that did better than the last one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can fall down. It just it doesn't matter how many times you fall down, it's how many times you get back up. Mm -hmm. And and you can always ask people for help. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I did not, but that's just because I'm a crotchety old man. <laughs> no, I, I got so many people helping me all mm -hmm. the time. It's embarrassing. I need to just add legally to my name, everybody else's name who helps <laughs> me all the time. Now to, to kind of round things out here on uh, a, a positive note, Slicarius in chat um, mentions uh, that N NTX was the first time that he got to associate names on his books with actual people. And I, I think that that really is part That's of the trippy. magic. Yeah. That's part of the magic of conventions is, you know, you um, you meet people who, you know, you've got, you open up a book and you're like, oh, there's that person's name. Uh, it, it's, you know, it, there's really kind of no way to describe it. it. It's, you know, like Skeeter said, it, it's almost like when you go to see a band, you've listened to this band yeah. for, you know, years and years. The first time I saw Rush, the curtain opened up and there they were. And I was just like, oh, these are real guys. These are actual human beings. They're not just, you know, constructs that, that someone put on a CD cover that, you know, that's Getty, Alex and Neil right there. They're, they're here in front of me. It's, it's kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's crazy. I have been extremely fortunate with the people that I knew coming up through my early years being in the industry. Uh, and I mean, I, I sit down and have actual meaningful discussions with Steve Marsh mm -hmm. at, at game conventions. Um, Alan Hammock is such good friends with my wife. They pull pranks on me together, which <laughs> is just berserkly wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, Tim Cask, of all people, uh, puts in a drink order with me because I go to the grocery store before we do game conventions. So we have a cooler and he just comes and hangs out and, and we talk. Yeah. And I sometimes while I'm talking to these people, I'm thinking, Oh my God, 12 year old me who's still very present in my brain and maturity level is not handling this at all right now. Mm -hmm. I, I I have worked with these people on a professional level. I have hung out with them. I went to the Waffle House for the first time ever <laughs> at NTX this year. Mm -hmm. they, just, they don't have them in the Northwest. Yeah. Uh, I went with Ian McGarty, Rocky Gardner, and Dr. Dennis Sestere, <laughs> who wrote Burrows and Bunnies. Yeah. And in gave the druid to D and D and has been a contributor for decades. And I'm in a waffle house hanging out with them. I mean, it is insane. Sometimes some of the stuff that happens, mm -hmm. it it's, it's lovely. I've been in games with Errol Otis. I have been all over the place at these game conventions because these people are approachable mm -hmm. and their approachability to people like me is why Zach and I do small publisher seminar 
and why we uh, say, hey, if you have any questions, come over to our booth and talk to us. And we sit for like an hour with, with people and talk to them and, you know, help out other people. Like Luau Lu's vendor table almost put the entire IPU to shame. Yeah. He, he oh, had yeah. Lou did great this year all over the place and good stuff, mm-hmm. not, not trash. So, you know, we're going to have to start, you know, messing with him and, and keeping him down a little bit because yep. he's, he's rising, he's rising too fast for my liking. Yeah. Yep. Totally kidding. If anybody doesn't understand that I am full of crap all the time. And, and, and speaking of keeping someone down, Crafty and, and Scott, Orcus Dorcas, it's just not styled right now. Like it's raining. That's, that's <laughs> what the problem I got my hair cut today. It's raining. My hair is not styled. I'm sorry. I don't look good for you. You look great all the time. I'm here actually to make you look even better. Because I'm like a I am like a photo negative older version gone wrong of you right now. <laughs> all we have in common is my terrible scruffy beard. I guess someone's got to give me an ego check at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Nah. Nah. All right. Well, unfortunately, that's going to be it for our time today. Skeeter, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Oh, appreciate it very much. This new, this this, uh, project that you have with Underland, this is part one for everyone who uh, didn't notice that uh, at the beginning. There will be a part two at some point. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how this project plays out and to, you know, getting my hands on this first book. I'm really excited to to see this one. Thank you. I'm, I'm very, I'm quite proud of how this has turned out. Mm-hmm. It was a very weird, bumpy journey. So yeah, I'm, I'm real happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's one hell of a comeback. Man, I hope so. It hasn't gotten to people yet. So I suppose <laughs> there's, yeah, there's still some road to travel. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right. Well, guys, that's going to do it for tonight's episode of Rolling Bones. Next week, uh, I will be joined by uh, now two time Three Castles Award winner, the designer of uh, Barrel Maze, Dr. Greg Gillespie, will be here on Rolling Bones for the first time. I'm looking forward to that conversation. I don't know anything about Mega Dungeons. He knows a lot, so it'll be a great conversation. And his his Mega Dungeons are... You can actually imagine them being there and mm-hmm. working. He He's excellent at his writing and presentation. Oh, yeah. Very good stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Skeeter, once again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. And uh, guys, just want to remind you, uh, you can find, uh, where can people find your stuff? I'll, I'll, I'll turn that over to you. Where can people find uh, books by Skeeter Green? So my webpage is sgpuncensored.com. Yes, I know. I did not actually get a break for too many letters. Um, but that's my personal site. I'm on Drive RPG. Uh, Skeeter Green Productions, uh, Mud Puppy Games, their website uh, has some of my stuff. 
Noble Knight. And <laughs> at this point, I think that's it. <laughs> I I don't know. Exalted Funeral. <laughs> they, they, they do too. Sweet. So check it out. Absolutely. Well, guys, remember whether you rolled a one or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next time.